0: A lot of what we experienced in GameStop, we are kind of hoping to create a platform that can enable that sort of crowdsourcing of knowledge. That brand still has a lot more value than the market is ascribing to it today. It's just crazy to see, you know. Life was a meme at that point. I had a sell order of 420 shares fill at 420.69 while I was on my favorite podcast. Like, you can't make this stuff up. It was crazy.
1: Hey, welcome to this edition of the Raz Report. Very excited to have a longtime friend who we met in the GameStop era online, Rod Elsman, founder of GMEDD.com and managing director of Wook Capital. How are you, man?
0: Doing great, Jason. Glad to be back.
1: Yeah, so I I met you at interesting times, okay? This was the GameStop um, craziness where and i and i've seen the show on netflix like eat the rich and me and luke are on the show because when we first had andrew left on the show we um we it was this was the beginning of the whole gamestop stuff we had andrew left on the show and what happened was they all the wall street bettors came to our channel and were like calling us boomers <laughs> that we didn't own GameStop. We didn't understand it. And um, so they were all, you know, going crazy at us. And and so by the end of the show or middle of the show, Luke bought shares of it. And then I bought shares because we if you look at the thumbs up, thumbs down, this is not the right feed right here. But the thumbs up, thumbs down, we were getting a million thumbs down because we had Andrew Leff on and he was negative GameStop. So if you were coming, then we bought the stock and then they loved us. And if you there's a show on Netflix that we're on and this whole clip is is on the Netflix show. Um, and this was the when Andrew left came on and then there was let me show you there was a couple other times we had you on. Oh, well, let me go back to this feed here um, and I go to share my screen one second. Um, it was then, crazy when you
0: guys had me on the stock got halted like a half dozen or so times.
1: <laughs> yeah. And this was. I don't know if this is the one if this is the one we had you on because we had you on um yes this is when the show you were on the stock kept getting halted and you had thousands and thousands of people in here talking with you and we were like we were the room where it happened that day like we were it was absolutely insane and um it was just like another another era oh, there you are see rod see gamestop provides um update and and that's you i don't know if you see it on the screen right now right i think you see it um and it, it kept getting halted and going and it was just look at that look yeah look at that right there see 260. this is during oh my god okay so then that if you stay bad. there for a second if you stay there oh, on shoot. that chart for a second i'm gonna go back i'm gonna go back to um, it sorry
0: i mean it's, it's still just crazy to to think about how that few weeks in january transpired um I was hoping you could show that chart, though, to kind of point out where the stock was, and I can kind of call out a few events. Um, Yeah, please, please. I don't know if you can make a max screen so folks can see the dates a little easier on the on the left, it looks like the 10th or 11th, because Ryan Cohen had settled with GameStop's board of directors on the news came out on a Monday morning. And I think the stock went up a little bit. It was this is pre-split. Remember, the stock has now undergone a four to one split. So all the current prices reflect that split. Um, but, but at the time, it was trading in the high teens. Um, I think after the Cohen settlement that Monday, it tri- it closed up, I don't know, maybe it was like 10%. And it closed around you know, 18 $19, $20. But it wasn't until that Wednesday where the stock doubled. It was, I think it was Wednesday the 13th of January or 14th of January. Um, And and as I understand it, that's when one of the large short hedge funds had covered at that point in time. So you got the Cohen settlement, you had two days. You had Monday and Tuesday where the stock didn't really rocket. But then that Wednesday is when it began to take off. Then I think it was a day or two later that Andrew came out and said, no, 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 back to 20 fast. I'm going to come out with my own report. That following weekend was the Martin Luther King Day. It was a long weekend. So what had happened on our end from from what became GMEDD was we saw the settlement. And to me, it was this is a crystallization of where we can now lay out some clear paths where we think it will go. We know there's been a settlement. We know he's got three board seats. We know it's much more likely that he'll have more control. Fast forward two years the board is 100 percent changed it is 100 percent under his control as chairman uh, at the time it was still uncertain but you know we put out of the, the report on i think it was the 20th or 21st um after mlk day but but i will say a big reason we did it was to counter program andrew left and the uh, another big reason we did it was just to consolidate all the work that i and a handful of other shareholders have been doing crowdsourcing research. For for me, it was years. For some of them, it was months. But to kind of put it all in one place, these are where we think it could go. It could go here, here, or here. Um, and and you know, I never ever would have expected that a week and a half after publishing that, the stock would get close to $500 per share, um, which at the time there was something like 65 million shares outstanding. So we're talking, you know, GameStop in 2020 near the lows was a two, 250, $300 million company. And, you know, by the peak of that mania, it it had gone more than 100 X that. So it it was an absolutely mind boggling experience to be a part
1: of. I mean, I'm looking at these estimates of people predicting where GameStop's price would go and you see like 78 178 and you're saying like a week later it went to 500.
0: Right. So the bull case that or the the gmedd report we put out on jan 20th was i think on the bear case it was 32 dollars pre-split again base was 80 in the bull case we you know added a little memedom too if you recall we put it at 169 42 but you know, the report had the depletion models like for what sort of physical to digital mix we expected as the next console cycle came along it had, you know, expectations on them shutting down a lot of stores, embracing an advertising technology business. So there's a lot of stuff that didn't happen, but there was a lot of you know, real deep work that went into laying our logic out. And yeah, I mean, if if you would have told me that, you know, a week later um, I'd be on the you know call with you with you know thousands and thousands of people um, and then a couple of days after that Thursday morning when it made the all-time highs I had the opportunity to participate in the odd lots podcast with uh, Joe Weisenthal and Tracy Holloway so they we recorded it at 9 a.m on that Thursday Jan 28th so during <laughs> when it was making the all-time highs I was recording this podcast and uh it's just crazy to see you know <laughs> It's like what, what life was a meme. At that point, I had a sell order of 420 shares fill at 420.69 while I was on my favorite podcast. Like you, you can't make this stuff up.
1: It was crazy. So you. So, so you sold a lot of your shares or some at the high or would you my average closely?
0: exit. So I, I started to have shares called away from me that Friday going into the May. I call it mania week. I don't know what the you know, tip Technical term for that crazy week in January is, but that Friday the stock had been uh, in the low 40s, mid 40s, and then who knows who or what um, just kind of forced the thing up. It closed up almost 50%. It closed up with all of the call options in the money that Friday uh, above 60. So I had like 800 of my shares called away at that point. My average exit across the entirety of of getting out of my position was like 270 ish dollars per share split so you know it, it was a pretty good exit all in all um far better than i ever would have thought but um you know my best sell was that 420 69 sell which again many people talked about that being a meme right and it's just astounding that it actually came to fruition and got there
1: were you did you get a lot of shit for selling when you when you sold well i posted on reddit
0: which you know, back then wall street bets was a usable platform. It's, in my opinion, not really usable. Uh, It's not it's it's not somewhere I invest any time and energy anymore. But I had posted that I'd exited and kind of explained some of my logic. Um, It's unfortunate because my Twitter account, I hadn't really been using Twitter until COVID hit. I had set it up in undergrad, though. So I'd never changed the password. So my account had gotten really popular. But by like early February, I wake up and I have like five dozen emails from Twitter support and somebody had gotten into the account. So who, whoever they were, they ended up trying to scam people. I knew a New York Times reporter through the whole kind of GameStop experience and, and reached out to him and I'm like, hey, do you know anyone at Twitter? So, so he at least was able to get in contact with a human because their you know, automated support is, is useless. It was useless. Elon hasn't probably changed that. So I lost my account for a couple weeks in February and the people who their ip showed nigeria they were trying to shill crypto they deleted all my tweets which kind of sucks because i had a lot of tweets about gamestop Um, but you know my stock twits posts are still there um you know my my experience you know writing ryan cohen a letter um along the way on behalf of other retail shareholders all that stuff you know it happened it was a crazy experience it was my first real foray into anything resembling activism you know getting to kind of reach out to an activist and say, Look, you know, on behalf of me, and 4% of shares outstanding, we we support what you're doing, you know, this was in December 2020, after he had sent a letter to the board in November. And it was, you know, the company had come out with its earnings results, it was a terrible earnings call, this the utter low energy from the executives at the time who are no longer with the company. So to me, it was like, you know, after Ryan put his letter out, um, getting a sense that there could be another proxy fight, there had been one from uh, Kurt Wolf's uh, Hestia capital in 2020. So sent him a letter in uh, December saying, you know, look, man, support what you're what you put out in that letter, support what you're doing, if there's going to be another proxy fight, you have our votes. And, uh, you know, he, he settled like three weeks after that. So presumably it helped. Um, but yeah, it was wild, wild experience to be a part of.
1: And right now, I'm showing the actual interview with Andrew left on I don't know why I didn't say the date, but this is the live. If you could see in the thing, this is the chat it was when it started to go crazy. Hold on, let's see see the chat. How it was loading. This is when we had Andrew left on. We had to do all these things to slow down in the chat. You see, GameStop to the moon. GameStop to the moon. I think it was at like sixty dollars here or something. But look at it. Mm. And they're calling. Yeah, there it goes calls me Boomer, and um, you know, and then we were forced to buy it because Jason Rznick. What the hell is up with the... Ch- okay, what? The- and it was going crazy. Andrew left in full panic mode because they someone crashed his Twitter by Jason. Like, these guys were killing us, if you see the chat, because we didn't own the stock at the time. And then we bought it because if you look at the... Let's look at this show you on here. I don't know. Um, the thumbs up, thumbs down. Well, it doesn't show the thumbs down now. But it was crazy how many negative people because we didn't own the stock yet. And so, you know, Andrew left the front. And this was like the beginning of the... Why doesn't it, does it show the date anywhere i would love to see what the date was of this interview um oh yeah january 21st 2021. so that so was this you know to when you did your report when was your report i think it was the 20th the, the 20th really okay so it was the day before this one okay so okay got it um so this is yeah. the day he got hacked and was going crazy and then yeah this is what's in um this was what's in that um that Netflix, uh, eating the rich thing. And this is the thing. So then, yeah, so that was okay, so I'm gonna stop sharing that. And then I'm going to you... shamelessly
0: plug another doc. So the only one that I decided to participate in, which I did, because a lot of the people who are part of the Roaring Kitty streams, which, again, people you know, f- who might have forgotten deep fucking value DFV, the Redditor is the same person as Keith Gill, who is Roaring Kitty, but nobody knew that until Christmas Day, 2020, when he announced that he was deep fucking value. So w- w- me and many others have participated in his Roaring Kitty streams from like August of 2020 through till December, you know, sharing our research, discussion, monitoring company results, etc., And, you know, gotten to know him as Roaring Kitty. There was a couple dozen of us and it was a nice little community. And the Rise of the Players documentary has me and some of the other um, members of that community, and kind of hear the story from that lens, and I enjoyed kind of sharing that a little bit with folks, and thought it turned out to be a pretty solid doc. Um, because I think what people forget, who maybe start the story at January twenty one, is that you know at least for me there was years of you know being wrong on the investment uh, where things you know had not played out well. You know I'll, I'll very briefly kind of summarize. You know the company went through a slew of CEOs um the you know uh, one of the CEOs passed away from brain cancer they then had an you know an interim CEO fast forward like 2018 they decide to undergo a strategic review at the behest of tiger global management they then finish the strategic review in 2019 they sell off their kind of cell phone retail business spring mobile they bring in a bunch of cash they then further along in 2019 bring in the new CEO George Sherman The new leadership team kind of in that summertime, they zero out the dividend at the second quarter. I think it was of 2019 earnings and the stock just plummets. If you look at the stock chart from 2019, it's just God awful. It goes from like the mid teens pre-split all the way down to like three bucks and change. And separately from one another in summer of 2019, that's when I know Keith Gill slash DFV slash Roaring Kitty began to accumulate his position. Michael Burry also in August of 2019 wrote, you know, a letter to the board encouraging them to accelerate the share repurchase program. Um, I'd been on vacation in Hawaii on my mobile Schwab app buying January 21 call options when the stock got down to like three bucks and change in uh, August you know, of 2019. So like all that happened, you know, in 2019. And then then we had to go through all of 2020 um, you know, with COVID hitting, the stores being closed, people being unsure if they'd survive. And then really the story then picks back up again in August 2020 when Cohen first got involved, and you know when he first got involved, the stock was still four bucks per share pre-split, so um, it was still like a three hundred million dollar market cap company by August of 2021 or uh, 2020, excuse me. So just the pace of change from that point, you know, when he began getting involved, you know, to the five months to when it peaked was just. It felt like a second job to me, the amount of time and energy I poured into it, uh, being part of sharing my research on StockTwits and Seeking Alpha and being part of all these discussions with him. So it's been a crazy Benzinga. time. And Benzinga, it was a blast to be on with you guys. And it was crazy to literally be on while the thing was, it was that Tuesday and the thing was uh, halting every you know, few minutes, it seemed
1: um yeah i mean this is an interview i did with anthony Deneer that was regarded like with the brokerage space i know they had one at cbc with uh vlad but this Robert, this was with uh, the ceo um of weeble um yeah we there's a Denier lot of misunderstanding
0: by people about why the quote unquote buy button was removed and it's yep. really regrettable because i think a lot of it stems from uh vlad being less than honest about what Robin Hood was facing with the collateral kind of requirements that that was you know they they could have failed right and and I don't think yep. he was honest I think people think there's a lot of collusion of some manner that went on between him and and Ken Griffin at Citadel and I I don't really believe that but you know it's, it's just sad to have seen a lot of people kind of take a very um you know what? I don't want to say warped, but their perception of markets was changed forever. If they were a new market participant that got into this, and one of my things is this is not common, right? You you don't see events like this in financial markets on a on a yearly basis, let alone you know this is like a once in a decade type of a moment. And it kind of was the culmination of a lot of different things. We had a lot of stimulus, I think, payments that were hitting around that time. It was so easy for people to set up, you know, their their Brokerage accounts at that time and fund them and you know, add a lot of leverage through. A lot of people were trading options, I think, for the first time.
1: Yeah, and 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 part of it, like, so when we had Denier on during this, he like we were saying, I love his transparency. He explained why they had the DTCC and what happened, and the clatter wasn't there, and that's why they had to change how they're doing it. And he explained how the process worked, and you know, you can read the comments here. Cheers for being so transparent. I not, can now see the story. And how it could be skewed negative, whether the sell button was disabled or enabled, does not mean the community can't still hold the line, whatever. And yeah. Webull is now the app I respect. Let the hedge funds go bankrupt. they met getting up and does. Okay, so this was during this whole thing in the January 2022. We I think we, Benzinga went live video for 20 like 18 hours straight. I went to Portnoy and Weary, oh, wow. and just kept yeah. We it was two days of 18 hours straight. I think I think we stopped at 11:30 each night, and it was absolutely insane um and that was you know that one and then um yeah it was uh interesting time and something that i don't know if ever will be repeated um because I think market I sure hope not cuz
0: I feel like it would require that we have another pandemic. <laughs> it would require that we yeah. have a lot of, you know, direct payments going out to consumers pockets because, you know, the economy is being put on life support <laughs> to an extent. Um, it, it was yep. definitely a moment in time that there will be books written about for for many years to come.
1: Absolutely and and you were one of the key players in it that was getting a lot of attention and writing the research and putting color out there. And so I guess a question, a quick question I have, is, mm-hmm. I don't know, give me the cliff notes. You mentioned that when you were in Hawaii, you bought some options at $3. So how long before the craziness of 2021, was that 2021 or 2020? I don't even know the year. It was
0: how Jan before,
1: 21. Okay, how long before that Jan 21 did you own the stock for? So there's
0: there's two answers to that um fun the fun fact is i've always been a nerd i've always been interested okay. in financial markets it was like 2004 or so i was i'm, I'm born in 89 so i was a teenager Okay, see so you
1: but owned it in 2004
0: through my dad had set up custodial accounts for me and my siblings i'm the oldest and you know having gotten interested in that stuff throughout you know, middle school and, and into early high school i i said uh, i was a gamer too i went to gamestop we had like a gamestop electronics boutique another gamestop yep. was strip by the mall by me funko land yep. <laughs> so i told him to buy gamestop um made some money off that sold it before i went off to college oh. um, i graduated high school in 2007 so somewhere there fast forward to when i most recently got back in was uh 20 late 2017. so it's it's really funny i started with like 100 shares and you know, c- continued to add to the position over the course of 20 18 and really in 2019 was when I started to buy very, very aggressively. But you know, I was down I was down tens of thousands of dollars at points in time. And my net worth you know, at the start of 2020 was like, let's call it hundred thousand dollars. So I was down a lot of money for a long time. And I, I was very open to the to the to the risk that I was wrong with my part of my thesis was that we would successfully see them reach this new console cycle by 2019 it was it be, certain it be, that it, the new consoles it, would have disk drives that was a very big part of it
1: why is that a big part of it, the disk drives
0: so for gamestop
1: they don't oh, break buy it out and buy the disk from there
0: okay right but their business as you probably know is very driven by the pre-owned aspect so you know, if you don't have a used disk you know from a software perspective you know, they, if, if it's a digital download, they don't have the opportunity to resell that one, two, three, four times and you know, s- slice some gross margin off that. That's been historically their highest gross profit percentage as well as dollar driver for their business. So that's part of the reason why I think people like you know, Melvin Capital and Co. had a view that it was a terminal zero because I I do see eventually that physical media is likely... Going to be gone. They won't sell new physical media. It's accretive for the publishers to sell. But you, initially.
1: but you, I get it, But you were owning it because you thought that with upgrade cycles, people are going to go to the store to buy, not just buy it online.
0: I thought. <clears throat> I guess the way I would characterize it is that the the how deeply depressed the value had gotten relative to what I saw as their ability to generate cash over at least one more console cycle. You know, it would be more like a cigar butt type view, right? I didn't think it was going to be a, you know, a company that evolved into a winner over the long term. It was, I think it's being priced that it won't even make it to this cycle. I think it will, it will make it to this console cycle, the PS5, the Xbox Series X, and that it will generate meaningful cash. Cohen's involvement obviously changed the thinking and kind of opened up more upside optionality, which Clearly the stock today already you know still bakes in a lot of that despite the operating results okay. not not evolving as as fast as I would have thought at that point in time but yeah
1: so so you stayed in it and then and then a, you were a hundred thousand dollars in it and then and that was the stock was like at twenty dollars or what was it at Well
0: at the at the start of 2020 it was at I think five fifty or six bucks um, it got down. During March, you know, when everything was selling off to the high twos, that's when my current boss, John Kim, actually entered his position and opened his position. Um, John bought, I think, a couple hundred thousand shares at Mm -hmm. two under three bucks.
1: Um, By Mm -hmm. the time, so so John spent five six hundred thousand dollars on it in early two thousand twenty. Yeah. And is john, is that the average position size like he buys of stocks when he buys stocks?
0: No, I don't, don't think, think so. Be- I mean, I, I think I think he, you know, we came to know one another later in the year. And I think his perspective was very similar to mine that the math really didn't make sense if you had a view that they were going to get through to this console cycle. And we, we also recognized, you can't ignore the reality that you had a larger number of shares short than were in the float. So you know, as, as I, we kind of said earlier that Wednesday, you know, the first day one of the big funds began to cover the stock doubled from like, you know, 19 to 38 or so. Um, the week, you know, I think it was like the 13th of January. Um, are you
1: talking? But wait, are you talking in January 2021? Now? Yeah,
0: yeah. Because, okay. because there was that short interest for over a year, right? The stock had that level of short interest from like late 2019. And part of the reason was that the new management team I talked about coming in in 2019. they they eliminated the dividend but they did two kind of share repurchase programs that took shares outstanding outstanding down from a little over 100 million shares down to like 65 million so um, that automatically you know by reducing the shares outstanding raised the the shares short you know in the short interest meaningfully and and that remained elevated for all of 2020 uh, and really into you know the mania
1: yep I get it, but I guess I, so I've been screaming at the, at the, to everyone I know for the last few months about buying a stock called INMD. Um, it's, um, you know, people are getting all the Zempic and this is like, okay. if you have extra skin, you go to a, you go to a medical spa and they like are the, one of those laser things that, you know, um, helps get rid of the extra skin from those Ozempic type stuff. And yes, the stock, um, the stock has taken off and it forecasted higher sales and they just had earnings day and it's up. Um, so it's like 42%. And I, I went pretty big in the stock. Um, I, I and as a Nancy M as a Mary decent dog, I went pretty big in the stock, but like I didn't go 500 big, but I went pretty big. And I guess my question is like, you know, this guy bought it in early 2020. It doesn't do much for a year. You know, it doesn't do much for a while. And then, you know, it, takes it um whatever it it takes it takes off a year from now. like i guess the conviction to buy that kind of dollar mm-hmm. out in a in a high volatile stock is pretty impressive unless john kim that does this a lot i guess you know that's just well, really well, really impressive
0: you know john um ended up by jan 21 being as far as we know the largest uh, external shareholder largest retail shareholder and um, he he owned besides ryan cohen well, I guess at that point, Ryan wouldn't really be considered a, a retail shareholder. I think he he'd gotten onto the board, right. But yes, okay. it was smaller than Ryan's position. Otherwise, it would have been disclosed, of course, on a 13 D or G. But, um, yep. you know, John also uh, sold out of the position and during that kind of mania week, and, and that capital, you know, he, he owned a little less than 2% of the company, that capital crazy, enabled crazy. the formation of what capital management so I work for him now. We we'd become friends over the over the saga. Um, we'd never met m- until you know Jan 2022. Interestingly enough, so it's it's crazy in, in this you know digital world that you can build these relationships with people, never meet them. You know, get a hiring offer from someone you haven't met in person before, and, and, and you know go to work for them.
1: Um, but you know, That's the, the basis of Benzinga, like a, a yeah. lot of people that I've met, you know, uh, um, developers have heard me on video and now uh work here that's awesome yeah um so that's amazing so what do you guys do now what's your business now
0: so i mean it's a a private investment fund uh it's you know it's a family office so the the a lot of what we experienced in GameStop, we are kind of hoping to create a platform that can enable that sort of crowdsourcing of knowledge sharing of contrarian viewpoints digging up of deep due diligence, nuggets of knowledge, whatever you want to call it, stuff that maybe the you're not going to uncover just from reading the financial statements and you're not going to have that insight just from you know, reading a sell side report. So we saw that firsthand at GameStop. I, I, I might have mentioned it at the time to your audience that like I was crowdsourcing order numbers. So their e-commerce platform had sequentially numbered orders. Like I found out by like October and you know, with, with it being the new console launch, and um, with it being important to understand how well their e-commerce results were doing, uh, I built kind of a little model that backed into you know what that implied for the business. So I was sharing that on stock and Twitter, you know, freely. Um, you know, just asking people to share their order numbers with me as as they put them in. Um, even before that, just like you know, little nuggets of things like somebody in a stop in a Seeking Alpha comment section making note of. Oh by the way the lawyer that he hired is a is an M&A specialist he is very well regarded so little things like that that made you kind of think okay he's very serious about where he's going to go with this campaign right the guy had put out a bunch of uh you're you talking about Cohen you're
1: saying okay got it.
0: yeah talking about Cohen so so like it informed the view that it was it wasn't just like a he he didn't you know go to 9 point whatever percent just uh Cause he's going to sell out and move along it it seemed like he had a very serious plan to try to effectuate change which which obviously he he ended up succeeding with the with the settlement and yeah you know fast forward to now he, he's the chairman it's his board he's brought in uh, hundreds of new employees so I, I think that you know if you think long term which is how i tend to try to operate because it's really hard to ever know right had no idea the crazy you craziness of january is going to happen right that was not of my you know part of my thesis for getting into it but you know over the long duration like the stuff like that you know bringing in the right people refocusing on the right things you know chewy from a customer um satisfaction perspective is one of the best companies out there so i think people saw a lot of that and assumed that he'd be able to replicate some of that success in gamestop um but it takes a long time to do that It's, it's hard to change a business overnight
1: yeah, absolutely, and and yeah, and so we saw it play through in real time. Now I want to move on from GameStop to okay. Playboy. Um, you put out a report on Playboy. Let's pull up the symbol. Um, talk to talk to me about Playboy.
0: So what Playboy is, is another you know, one. What is
1: it, and why do you like it exactly? Yeah.
0: So I'll go back to what initially put it on my radar. They they came back public via. SPAC transaction in February of 2021. So just after the GameStop mania, one of the investors I would befriended along the way with GameStop, he had you know, sent me the uh, the presentation they'd done. Um, and, you know, I watched the video and, and the question, simple question was, you know, what, what do you think this brand is worth? And, and my response was, you know, I think that that brand is worth more than a billion dollars. So. It's a long story, and I don't want to go through all of the details. What I would encourage folks, if they're interested, we put out the report on Sunday. It's, um, there's three documents, you can get to the report at PLBYDD.com. And, the ticker is PLBY. So PLBYDD.com is the main report. There's an asset deck that's at assets dot plbydd.com. And then there's a creator platform financial model at model dot or models model dot plbydd.com. The links are in the main report, which is plbydd.com. So why did we put this out? Um, We're sharing it up on the screen. Okay. So, so I'd been on and spoken to you guys actually about it. And I think it was 2021, maybe it was 2022. But this is another one I've been I've been completely wrong with regard to the to the price perspective and and i've been very wrong on the notion that the management team could operate any of these businesses but where i don't think i'm wrong is I'm, I'm still quite confident that the licensing business that brand still has a lot more value than the market is ascribing to it today and and if you kind of go through the report you'll see they actually own several other operating businesses they have a handful of assets they're they're actively selling multiple of the other operating businesses so what ends up happening right is you know this uh the largest external shareholder company that i'd gotten to know called builders union they owned about eight percent of the company by year end 2022 they when you're managing other people's money you have this risk of a liquidation um the fund was liquidated so that, you know, from from like early February, February 9th, to be precise, they were indiscriminately selling out of their entire position. So they fully exited that, took the price down. Um, furthermore, the stock was deleted from the Russell indices in June. So it's now been deleted from the indexes. Largest external shareholder just sold out utterly. Um, they did a capital raise through a subscription rights offering earlier this year at 256. So. There's a lot of moving parts. Um, there's a lot of stuff that's happened. Uh, and to me, it was people still to this day, they haven't published a magazine in over three years. And the first thing I see a lot of people respond is like, oh, who would buy a magazine anymore? And I'm like, you guys just don't understand at all what this business even is. So I really wanted to put the report out because it's kind of like we've gotten through all of what I think is the worst of it is in the past in terms of you know, sentiment, selling uh being removed from the indices you now have you know what what happens next is what do they sell these other assets that they have listed honey burdette is a luxury lingerie brand that they bought in 2021 they paid a lot for it they paid more than their current enterprise value today Um, but it still has value and they have been actively shopping the business I, i think they bring in potentially more than their current market cap in proceeds from selling the business. Um, another kind of little nuance, right? The, the balance sheet from the last quarter, which was March 31st, 2022, uh, 2023, excuse me, you know, end date doesn't reflect changes that happened after the quarter ended. They um, resolved their preferred stock situation. They rolled that into an amended and restated term loan. It's like there's so many things going on with this one and it's, it's been a clusterfuck. Along the way, and I've been calling for the CEO's resignation for just under a year now. Uh, I when will note, CEO? Ben Cohn the CEO okay, but then
1: there's uh, yep, you're saying Ben Cohen, but I was just doing some research. Um, so you've been calling so I, we had Ben Cohen on our show <laughs> yep a, a couple times yep and um, see so then, then who is who is this is is, is this the whole old one, one Cohen Bernard? That's his full name, Bernard. That's oh, that's be- oh, OK, OK. Because I'm looking at the insider act transactions, I guess.
0: Yep. Okay, so so you... Ben um, is up for reelection at the 2024 annual general meeting, and I've made it clear that I believe he needs to resign. And while. There's still a few months to finalize the plan, I would say right now, If nothing changes he can expect to be going up against me for that board seat
1: so you do you you own a decent amount so it's my largest position
0: in my personal account Um, i'm a beneficial owner of more than half a percent of the company and you know again we we don't just put these reports out willy-nilly i I think this is only the second one i've ever done uh you know of this nature Um, i think the hope is that we'll do more of these more frequently but i guess my takeaway for people will be that it's gotten so extreme that I felt like I wanted to set the record straight, lay out what our viewpoint was on, on the prospective outcomes for the company. And, and yeah, look, there's only so much one can do. But in this case, he's up for reelection, as is Hale Rizvi, the chairman of the board. And we, everything in my power will go to beating Ben Cohn and removing him. He is unfortunately a turd. He is weighing down everything to do with the company. Uh, don't have anything good to say about him, unfortunately.
1: So what let's say you were on the board, what would be something that you would change other than leadership? What would be something that you would change right away?
0: Well, first off, they, they need to consummate some of these asset sales and get their debt situation under control. The the amount of interest that's going out the door annually is. More than half of what the, they've kind of even guided to their pro forma adjusted EBITDA being so the debt burden is is just too high right now. Uh, they need to consummate some of these asset sales, which you know, they've talked about for months. But we need to sign a deal. Uh, I don't care if you think the assets are worth more. You you are this is the market you operate within. Um, I think another thing that would be helpful is you know that they've they've done an okay job of trying to articulate the story that this is a brand that's not not just for, you know, old men, it's, uh, and they've been rather successful in shifting their customer base, you know, the customer base is now about half women, and half men. It's it's a lot younger than it used to be. It's, I think, two thirds of their kind of direct customers are under 34. So while it had in the past when it was a magazine business, been, you know, old men, it's now younger, it's a lot more welcoming, um, they've definitely done some good outreach. I think to the LGBT community, the to women broadly, I think the creator platform they're working on has some perspective value, but you know, they don't have the right operators there. Um, you know, that, that, you have private equity guy who has a private equity mindset, who from my conversations with all the previous employees, uh, with other investors, with creditors, with customers everyone consistently says the same thing that this guy is just has to go
1: so i'm looking at the insider transactions i'm seeing differing numbers i gotta double check with our team here but i see on march 21st 2023 rizvi sahil I don't know if he purchased or if it was an options exercise. Do you know? Yeah. So I mentioned
0: the subscription rights offering earlier. So Rizvi is the largest shareholder. He his position had been down to around 20%. Um, He oversubscribed in the rights offering and took his position up to just shy of 30%. There was a standstill agreement that he agreed to with the board. So he can't go past that. Um, So he owns and and like the third, the form fours may show it like just a little bit differently. It's him and his general, uh, I think general manager, john, GM, champ, Yep. Combined that's 30%. It
1: might show you Wright- Do they? Did they buy in March? Is that correct? So it was the shares purchased from the rights offering.
0: And then them kind of I think this the most recent one was them kind of shuffling the shares between entities, but it's still it. a 30 okay. just shy of 30% ownership by them him Rizvi and then cones at least on the proxy statement uh, you know inclusive of his options is a little over 4%. So there's a lot of insider ownership by them. It's going to be very difficult to you know overcome that. But you know, look at the latest proxy that happened about a month ago, if you do the math on it, you know, the two directors that were up for election if you exclude the insider votes, they they lost by more than two to one. So yes, those insider votes are meaningful, but it's very clear that uh, the other investors in the company are opposed. And I'm going to do my best to um, get that energy aligned behind whatever we end up doing to oppose them.
1: I mean, because this stock was at $34, unless it was a, a, a weird transaction. Like, are you looking at the screen right now? Yep it was you see can you see the 34 dollars there i can i remember and then and this was this is ben cohen right i watched it you watched on our okay yeah so um so that's when we had ben on the show um and it's just fallen and i know the theme was like okay, less naked other things so you what know, so licensing
0: what they did when they came back public with the transaction was they articulated this view that we are going to grow our direct to consumer our owned and operated businesses they did some m a they bought a cheap lingerie costume platform called yandy in late 2019 yandy.com right. they then bought a western mostly western states uh sex shop chain called lovers um then i mentioned the honey burdette acquisition so they did a lot of purchases of other businesses but what we observed over the last year and a half is that they they simply can't operate a lemonade stand (laughs) i don't think ben could operate a lemonade stand he'd probably forget to add the water and it would just hand you a cup of sugar um they they failed miserably in their owned and operated strategy and basically earlier this year they did a complete 180 where they said we're going to go asset light we're going to sell off all these assets so what's incredible to me is you have the leader of the failed strategy still at the helm and that has been the message i've heard consistently is many investors refuse to touch the stock until he's gone because it's kind of like how the hell could you fail so completely and not have any repercussions for it so even if, even like, if uh, and I will say, I think the current strategy is the right one to focus on a- on asset light, focus on just the core royalty operation, sell off these you know, businesses because you clearly can't operate them yourselves. But the challenge is when you sell all of that off, you're left with a very small you know, core business that I don't think is large enough for public markets, which is why I, I don't believe that I'll even have the chance to go up against Mr. Cohn because I don't think the company is public by the next AGM. It's
1: another next. What'd you say? Uh,
0: by the annual general meeting. I, I don't believe it. it'll
1: be public. A- AGM annual general meeting. See, we are our show. We try not to do abbreviations, but everyone knows what they are. But he said AGM. I didn't catch it. AGM annual general meeting. All right. Um, so it sounds like I got to get Ben on the show and see what he says in response.
0: You should do it and see what I he will. has to say about how operations have gone and and why he should remain the ceo i'd love to hear that
1: yeah i mean um there he goes see nice art painting here um yeah we we included evaluation swag on the
0: artwork collection in our asset deck um in 2007 they had talked about it being appraised at 20 million dollars so we we kind of inflated the value based on cpi we then did a discount you know, I don't know exactly the value of the art collection. They've talked about it a few times in a latest earnings call. They noted it's going to be up for sale. I haven't really seen those sales yet, though, because, uh, you know, maybe Ben doesn't. It's know all I'll ask sell. with the
1: art collection. He knows how to it's sell the shares. I would. Ask, what'd you say?
0: He knows how to sell those shares. He has never made an open market yeah. purchase, even though nice. in the fourth quarter he noted how dislocated the share price was. So maybe you can ask him why he isn't buying shares if it's so dislocated.
1: Yeah, no, I will get him on and uh, um, see what's going on. I'll try to do it next week or the week after. Love it. Um, I gotta go back to doing the live thing, but um, yeah. So if you're listening to the uh, the Raz Report podcast, check out uh, Wool Capital W O O K C A P I T A L, or for short, if you want to see the report, it's say the yeah P P L B Y D D dot com. Correct?
0: That's right. Yeah. So remember, the business yeah. is PLBY group now, even though yep. it's mostly you know, Playboy's licensing business with the rabbit head and the brand name. Yep. Um, and then these other businesses that I was alluding to that many of which are already listed for sale.
1: Yep, absolutely. So yeah, we I mean, Rod Ellsman is, is, does, you know, research and been involved with different uh companies and like you said i asked him when he bought his gamestop first and he heard the two answers because he goes i was a nerd i'm a nerd no i was I, I am a nerd. i still am um, <laughs> i'm proud yeah, a nerd. <laughs> we, all, we all are nerds come on um but you know it's uh it's heavy due diligence and i um will work on getting um ben cohen on the show i you know i've had him on a couple times or benzinga did um this one's a little bit different this is our RAZ report but we go way back I mean Rod was GMEDD before anything um which is you know I mean how many, how many people at one time were like on your email newsletter list for GMEDD well, did you have And that? look
0: we we still have the Discord community has a little less than I think 10,000 people in it so if people can join the Discord server we talk about all variety of stocks it's not certainly not just GameStop but, but it is, you know, like, the, the desire is not, you know, to find, you know, a stock that, because look, like I said, I, I have no clue what stock prices are going to do in the short term. My ideal situation is to find something where it is just utterly hated. Everyone thinks it's dead. Everyone, th- you know, doesn't like it. I I am uncomfortable when people like a stock that I like (laughs) I much prefer um what GameStop was you know it was completely disregarded and discarded and left as dead and left as trash but then of course you know on the tail end you know it, it went up 100x and and now the forward return profile was unattractive it still is unattractive in my view and you know, people people fall in love with stocks and you really shouldn't because the stock's not going to love you back. The stock doesn't care about when you bought it or when you sold it. Um, you know, to me, what's important is, wh- what do I think the forward return profile looks like for this security? And it, it's often going to take years if it's something that's deeply disliked. So um, it, it's more of a you know, contrarian value-oriented mindset. And I think, though, that that's where you know getting deep insights, whether it's an industry insight um you know thinking about the consoles, whether it's you know knowing more than um you know you would otherwise glean just from financial statements. I think you need that. And I think in today's world with our ability to connect with people globally instantaneously it's it's incredible how quickly information travels. And you know I'm I'm certainly not a subscriber to uh the efficient market hypothesis.
1: Yep. I believe there's I believe like Benzinga and why I started there's opportunities everywhere. There's um, market asymmetry. One reason I started Benzinga was that small cap stocks weren't covered by mainstream media, and and that's where you're usually going to
0: find the opportunities because you don't have enough eyeballs on it.
1: And that was exactly what I did in the defense sector after 9/11. There was a company called Envision, INVN, and it was a public company, and it made the security, like all types of things. And my INMD play was all a COVID, not COVID. It was all about the Ozempic. It's not Ozempic, but it's like the thing it's up 40 percent since then but it's finding those asymmetries where you can find or find the expert and yes if mr market goes down a substantial amount then you're you know you're it's nothing you can do most of the time but over time like you said you can be rewarded in a asymmetric way and you know some of these things are binary some of these things um you know you can win or lose but if you make the right bets i mean your game stop is a once in a lifetime i think but Yeah, I mean, who knows, I guess. It'd be nice to find another another one like
0: that. But uh, yeah, (laughs) it's definitely a risk, too. You know, if you if you if you're a younger investor and you experience some sort of windfall profit, like to try and tether yourself to the reality that that was an outlier event and they're not going to all be home runs um, and and you don't need to be chasing, you know, that high. Because I know a lot of people who made a lot of money in that and then they really were like spending 2021 the balance of the year and 22 like trying to chase you know other other things and ended up burning a lot of their profits or all of their profits so you know investing is a really tough game it's very emotionally uh demanding um especially if you're like me and you come on these you know discussions with people like jason and you you know you're talking about stocks because look plby if the stock goes up a lot I'm not going to be married to it because the forward returns are going to now be smaller and you know i'll adjust my position accordingly so you know you you just that's i think you have to be guided by a a view on here's where this exists today based on everything you know and understand about the the range of perspective outcomes you know what is the you know likelihood that you have upside versus the downside that sort of stuff people have to all make those decisions themselves but i do think it's all in all, it's good to kind of talk about and, and hear different people's opinions on things. Hopefully they're informed opinions and not just noise to, to kind of help you and improve your overall process.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's the name of the game. Um, and to try to get an edge where it's not there. And then do you lose conviction? Like I have a stock HubSpot that was going down and I I didn't lose conviction because everyone I talked to at small businesses were moving to HubSpot from Salesforce. And I'm like, no brainer. I tried to get the Salesforce CEO to buy HubSpot when it was like at sixty bucks, and now it's at five fifty-six. But it's you're not going to always have the deep conviction, like you said. You haven't put out one of these reports since GameStop. So it's when you have these deep convictions is when you make a stand and uh, try to put out that viewpoint. And uh, it'll be interesting when you run for the board. Maybe we'll have you on again and, and you know t- tell your side why you uh, should be on that board.
0: Yeah, I, I look forward to hearing their next earnings, which you'll probably have to wait till that comes out to see about having Ben back on, which should be in a couple of weeks here. They haven't yet announced it, but it should be in early August. Um, and that'll be their, you know, their second quarter result. We'll hear if any assets have been sold. And, you know, depending on what I hear from Ben, uh, we'll decide to take next steps. So. Got it. Um, okay.
1: Well, stay stay in touch with us then um, I'll see what I can do about bringing him on. And to stay in touch with us and we'll go from there. I uh, appreciate catching up. It was a good to talk about the GameStop stuff. Thanks for coming on the Raz report. If you have any other. Cool stories or angles, or I don't know, maybe not even stock market related. Please let me know. Uh, you are a friend of Benzinga and been for many years. And appreciate, uh, you and, uh the amazing transparency that you provide throughout this so uh thank you rod Ellsman, you can reach him on uh you can see his report on PLBYY um or on the what is it plby.dd for the report and um woke capital or on twitter rod elsman uh spelled a-l-z-m-a-n-n and raz report you know where to find us benzinga i uh, hope to see you guys at the We're doing a big fintech show in November. Uh, I don't know the date, but it's in November. We're going to have everyone and anyone there. So if you're around, come check it out, any of the listeners. Um, But that's it for now. I look forward to having you on again soon, Rod. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Jason. Appreciate it.